0: Our Gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel according to Mark in the eighth chapter. Let us listen together for what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day rise again. He said this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me? and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. May God add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and our understanding of God's holy word. Did you hear the references to shame in the scripture reading? Both Peter and Jesus rebuking one another, and then Jesus' words, whoever are ashamed of him and of the gospel, of them he will be ashamed. Shame is a big theme in this passage. The Reverend Dr. Cheryl Lindsay. Wrote the Sermon Seeds for the United Church of Christ's Worship Ways this week. And she wrote this about shame Shame denotes a feeling of humiliation, distress, and guilt that arises as a response to behavior. Often shame rises in community as accepted norms are broken, and the one who has deviated from the rules is singled out and exposed for those actions. Unlike the internal reflection of conviction or repentance, Shame does not typically facilitate restoration or reconciliation. Like a criminal justice system focused almost solely on punishment, shame rejects transformation and repair. Shame judges the person or persons and finds them wanting or unworthy. Shame serves as a result of honor code systems in which maintaining honor is an ultimate goal, and anything that threatens the honor of the community or kinship group is a deep offense. Friends, there is something so powerful about shame. If we are going to have strong bonds as friends, as family groups, as neighborhoods, and as societies, shame is the most powerful and most basic tool we have for ensuring that our values and morals are intact and observed. Shame keeps us in line as though our lives depend on it because we have evolved as social animals whose survival does in fact depend on our inclusion in a larger group. The fear of being kicked out of a social group runs so deep because if you imagine early human beings, if they were to be shunned and sent out on their own, out into the savannah or out into the wilderness, they would not last long. We need our communities. We have to belong to them. So shame keeps us sensitive to the threat of rejection. We can also imagine that people who refused to share in these early groups, if they had the luck of finding a new food source, or who refused to take their turn on the night watch, they would have been shamed and ashamed for their refusal to cooperate. Today, there is still the shame of the collective. Even if you were kicked out of your social groups, you might know that you have a good chance of surviving. But the shame of the collective still keeps us in line. It still holds power over us. Has there been a time recently when you have felt shamed? Maybe you were caught gossiping about someone and it made it back to that person? Maybe you were distracted while driving and nearly caused an accident at your neighborhood bus stop. Maybe you lost your temper at someone you love and said hurtful things you really didn't mean to say. Maybe you have been stopped by the fear of shame. Maybe you have stopped yourself from plagiarizing or taking credit for someone else's work in your job. Maybe it is the fear of making the news a DUI, or maybe it is the fear of a fight breaking out at a sports game that helps you stop yourself when you might do something wrong. We cannot avoid shame. Shame is having its 15 minutes of fame right now. Brene Brown is a scholar who I love, and she has made it a major topic of her work, putting a language and a framework around what is one of the oldest and most universal emotions. She writes, we all have it. Shame is universal and one of the most primitive human emotions that we experience. The only people, she writes, who don't experience shame lack the capacity for empathy and human connection. And of course, you can hear shame come up in this passage as it relates to Peter and his best friend, Jesus. My appreciation and affection for Peter has grown by leaps and bounds over the years. Maybe it is for mothering boys, or maybe it is that where I used to judge him for his many faults and failures, I'm now grateful to him. He is such, for lack of a better word, so often such a doofus. And he sets the bar for us so very low where we see him mishear, misunderstand, misapprehend Jesus. We see him get it wrong again and again and again. But we see him pick himself up and keep on trying. And he sets the bar so low, so we also know that when we fail, we can dust ourselves off and keep trying again to understand Jesus and follow in his way. So I really have empathy for him in the way he gets it wrong in this passage. And I'm sure if you think back, I mentioned a few weeks ago in a sermon that we understand now that prefrontal cortexes are the last thing to develop in a brain, the seat of higher thinking, reasoning, decision-making skills. And I mentioned just how late they finish developing in men and boys. Do you remember that age? Twenty-eight. And for Peter to be a follower of Jesus, who was only 33, I imagine Peter was just a bit younger. And bless his heart, I bet that his prefrontal cortex was not fully developed quite yet. And he planned to bring a sword to the crucifixion. He planned to fight his way out of this problem. He was following the Messiah, which he thought meant Jesus was going to overthrow all the powers of empire. He was committed to following Jesus through to the end, but he did not think the cross was where they were headed. And I'm sure you can imagine young men thinking that the way you be a good friend, you don't let your friend cry in school. You don't let your friend make a bad choice. You don't let your friend be ashamed and go to the cross. You do whatever you can do to change his mind. So Peter pulls Jesus aside because Jesus is explaining to everybody, I am headed toward the cross which was the ultimate tool of shaming and dehumanizing that the Roman Empire could devise. It was humiliation and physical torture. It was the end of the line and the dashing of the hopes and dreams that Peter had in the one he had just named as the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who would save everyone. How was he going to save anyone if he couldn't save himself? So Peter pulls him aside to be that good friend and say, look, buddy, that's not the way. There's a different way. Let's rally an army. Let's gather the troops. Let's hide. Let's do anything but that. And it's then that Jesus also rebukes him and tries to explain to him this is the way. The disciples couldn't understand until they had hindsight that this was the way Jesus was going to save everyone. But Peter could not possibly have seen that. And to be a good, loyal friend meant talking Jesus down from this horrible mistake. For very good reason, I think the use of shame is being constructed today in our society, and it is most apparent to me these days in the way we educate and the ways we parent. I'm sure you have noticed it as well. There are drastic generational shifts happening in parenting trends, but my friends will also see if they've been raising children over a broad span of years that even from their eldest to their youngest, they have seen a drastic shift. But people my age are parenting very differently than our parents raised us and very, very differently than our grandparents raised our parents. And one of the ways we see this shift happening is in an absolute, utter refusal for young parents today to shame their children. Have you noticed this? What began as a conscious parenting movement has evolved into a gentle parenting movement, child-led parenting and things that were completely the norm for older generations are completely unacceptable to today's parents. Old-school parenting said children should be seen and not heard. Old-school parenting said it was completely okay to say to children, you should be ashamed of yourself. Old-school parenting said that it was right to let children know, everyone is looking at you, pull it together. Old-school parenting thought that it was okay to say, wipe your tears, don't cry. Old school parenting thought that the role of the parent was to shame their children early and often at home so that the world would not need to shame them when they went outside. New age parenting says, do not be your child's first bully. Do not shame your child. I had a really interesting conversation last week with a friend who was talking about their friend. This person doesn't live anywhere near here, so I will not be shaming them. They admitted that they had tried absolutely everything but shame to toilet train their four-year-old, who refused to learn to use the toilet. They used a diaper everywhere they went at age four. And it became a battle of wills between the child and the parent. They had tried absolutely everything. They had tried rewards. They had tried letting the child figure it out on their own. They had tried waiting. They had tried patience. But not until their second child, at age two, just up and decided to stop using diapers that they were at their wit's end. And they said, that's it, we're resorting to shame. And a week later, that friend reported back, the job was over. It is so effective. All those parents had to say was one word of shame, and that child was done. Shame is incredibly effective and, in the wrong hands, incredibly damaging. Shame in the school system is also on its way out. Old school education systems said that shame was the best way for kids to learn and the best way to be kept in line in school. You can imagine all the shame-based practices as means of correcting behavior with smacks on the palm in front of the whole class, a dunce cap on a child who was sent to stand in a corner, writing, I will not, and the transgression on the blackboard over and over and over again for everyone to see. And now it is even considered shame-based to have a sticker chart on the wall because some kids will be ashamed of themselves if they don't have as many stickers as others you can see this drastic shift. And to be sure, shame in the wrong hands is a terrible thing. A shame-based society and religion says that you will go to hell if you don't come to church and if you don't tithe ten percent. Shame-based religion is not something we want to practice anymore. A shame-based society, To tamp down on rates of teen pregnancy or diverse gender expression uses shame to coerce and control as a means to an end. Shame-based marketing strategies tell people, buy these products so that you can fix all of these things which we have told you is wrong with you. It is a great way for capitalism to keep itself going. We could go on and on about what is wrong with a misplaced use of shame but we have got it all wrong in our society. Psychologists would say that if you looked at an enclosure of primates and you saw one who was very strong and very powerful hoard all of the food and sit on it and watch the rest of the collective starve, that there would be something wrong with that one. But our society now has structured itself so antithetically to the gospel that we would look at everyone else who is without and say, what is wrong with all of you? Shame only functions in a society when we've aligned ourselves with the gospel values, and we have to take a really hard look at where it is that we have not done that the way God wanted us to. So we could go on and on saying, what's wrong with this misplaced use of shame? And we could also look back to Jesus' words. He said this for a reason. If you are ashamed of me, and he says in this adulterous and sinful generation, but what adultery means in that context is having any God but God. The people collectively are like God's spouse, God's beloved, and if you are going to follow any other idol, any other way but love of God, you are committing adultery against God. So Jesus says this adulterous and sinful generation, because they had completely misguided values. They weren't living a gospel way. They weren't living a way of love and of nonviolence. So Jesus is saying, if you can't stop yourself from being ashamed of the gospel truth, then I will be ashamed of you. I wonder... If an original sense of shame doesn't help us become more faithful people, if our values are gospel values, if we were to be that one hoarding everything we had and refusing to share, shouldn't we feel ashamed then? And wouldn't it be God's gift to us that we would know we were doing something wrong, that our conscience would be so uncomfortable by what we're doing? that we would have to turn around and walk back into the way Jesus had preached, which was sharing. Maybe the right source of shame is God's gift to us in this Lenten season, but it takes discernment to see where it's coming from. Is it coming from the right place, and is it based on what Jesus was talking about? Friends, how can shame be helpful for us, and how can we rediscover its true purpose. So what is the gospel? We need to know that first. The the world tells you you should be ashamed to be poor, to be weak, to be sick, to be oppressed, to serve, and to follow a crucified Jesus. The world tells you you need to be powerful and rich and be served. But unlike the world, Jesus says, I came to bring good news for the poor and the oppressed. I came to set people free. I came to heal. I came to help people live their lives to the fullest. I came to tell people that the love and belonging of God is not conditional. I came to tell people who were told to be ashamed of themselves for who they are that they are loved and valued and wanted and welcomed in the kingdom just as they are. Friends, we should not be ashamed of who we are. We should not be ashamed of the gospel, of the good news. But what if shame rightly experienced just between God and ourselves is God's gift to stop us from chasing after the wrong values? We should be ashamed if we love violence. We should be ashamed if we seek to abuse power. We should be ashamed if we use religion as a tool of manipulation and exclusion. We should be ashamed if we are unwilling to speak up for those who are unheard. We should be ashamed of ourselves if we believe that God, our loving creator, made us in a way that is wrong or bad, if we are unwilling to love ourselves the way we are. It takes discernment to know which is which. And so I want to close today with a rewriting of the prayer which American theologian Reinhold Niebuhr originally wrote, which became the serenity prayer used in 12-step programs. May we be ashamed to step off the path of love. But may we be unashamed to be our full selves in the meantime, waiting for Jesus to return and not be ashamed of us, but to be proud of us when he comes in glory. May we be unashamed to challenge empire. May we be unashamed to give away what's been entrusted to us. May we be unashamed of living as expressions of kingdom values. May we be unashamed to work for justice and make peace in the name of Jesus. May we know the difference.